Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Today, I'm gonna be talking all about the entrepreneurial journey. That's right, we're all entrepreneurs at heart, and there's some challenges that lay ahead of us, some phases we all go through, and it ain't a straight line. I'm gonna talk a lot about that on today's show to try to help you set some expectations and maybe give you a little bit better understanding from a coaching standpoint, at least, on where you are in your journey. I think this is going to be a note-taking episode. I definitely think you're going to want another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Entrepreneurism. Man, there are things, uh, you thought you went to dental school, right? Um, I thought I went to business school. I thought I worked for uh, an enterprise company, publicly traded company. And um, there are things about being an entrepreneur that we've all read, we've all heard, we all don't know about until we're in the middle of it. And some of those things are predictable and some things aren't. Oh, the joys of being a business owner, right? Um, it, uh, it's not always wine and roses. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. So let's talk a little bit uh, today about the journey that we're all on. And this counts equally for me and my partner, DeWalker, uh, as much as it does for every single one of you. Um, and I think that all too often we hear from uh, prospective clients and clients about the successes they've created uh, in, in a traditional one to two location uh, type of a solo practice or, or small group. Um, and then things change. And I only halfway jokingly refer to this like having children. Um, and my wife and I got married a little bit later in life. And, you know, I'm. 52 now, and we have a, a nine-year-old daughter, and she's hell on wheels. But um, you know, when people say, "Tell me about your family," "Tell me about your kids," I say, "Well, you know, we, I, I have one child, and the the reason that I don't have multiple kids is because I have one." <laughs> I know how challenging that can be, and I think all of you can relate to that when you start thinking about having multiple locations here. It's not like having a successful solo a location times three or four. It is a much more dynamic animal. Uh, and what I wanted to talk about today is, is what I call the entrepreneurial journey. Um, in, in some of our presentations, uh, I share a, a book Y'all know that I read a lot um, and uh, or read a lot of books. Uh, and one of uh, the ones that I reference most often to people starting out their journey is something called the E-Myth, uh, E like entrepreneur, E-Myth uh, by Michael Gerber, G-E-R-B-E-R, -E -E like the Gerber Foods Company for babies and stuff like that. 
probably not related in any event. Um, the E-Myth has been out for, I don't know, 20 to 30 years or something. This thing's been revised multiple times. It's an easy book. Uh, for those of you who like reading uh, Patrick Lencioni's books, because most of the time they, they make great points and, and they're um, uh, a fable, if you will, or a story about an entrepreneur. Uh, Gerber's book called The E-Myth is the same thing. Uh, and it's about a bakery store owner. And she hires a, a consultant to help her and she she owns the business uh she is the baker she's the cashier she's the person who sweeps the floors and pays the invoices and orders the supplies and all that kind of stuff like y'all can relate right and and DeWalker and I can too having built a couple of businesses here and trying to grow them and scale them and the challenges we have I mean we that's completely relatable our business is different from yours but the principles aren't dramatically different and the reason I point out the e-myth by Michael Gerber is because it's an easy read and it's something that kind of gives you a level set mindset here of what he calls transitioning from the technician role the person who does the craft to the manager role the person who organizes all of it to the entrepreneur, the person who dreams it and looks out over the horizon. And I kind of equate that uh, to going from one location to maybe three to four locations to five or more locations. And the, the E-Myth by Michael Gerber is an easy read. Uh, and it's something that kind of allows you to see yourself in the journey as it plays out for you and understand some of the the toil that you're all suffering, much like uh, I do, uh, in building a business. So let's talk about that entrepreneurial journey in a little bit more detail in terms of phases that we see um, for uh, people building successful group practices. Uh, and they really, um, they, they really are as follows. You know, when you think about um, that uh, initial phase, of building a successful group practice. You know, it is most likely uh, pr or predominantly focused on your clinical and interpersonal skills. Can you do the, the clinical work? Can you do the dentistry? Are you proficient at that? Uh, do you have successful outcomes? Do you have some level of speed and, and capabilities from a clinical standpoint? And your interpersonal skills, can you get patients to accept the treatment you're proposing? If you've got good skills and you've got the ability to, to have patients accept the, the treatment that you're proposing, you're probably going to build a successful solo practice. That business is based off of what I would call basic systems and, and just basic operations. Um, efficiency in terms of managing the schedule, efficiency, uh, effectiveness in terms of uh, collecting accounts receivable, not turning over the staff constantly, um, you know, having just a, a fairly simple but effective type of a solo practice. And those are typically practices that generate pretty healthy incomes by and large. Those incomes are, you know, oriented at your personal, your your and your family's personal consumption habits. This is what uh, Michael Gerber terms uh, being the technician. You are the largest economic engine in that business, uh, and the status that you derive from being a successful business owner and clinician is one that supports that business. Kudos to you. A lot of those in the profession um, and, and you know, great case studies as it relates to the, the viability of a small business that has reasonable fixed cost and, and controllable variable cost, successful solo practice. Moving out of that one location, as we grow up the ladder a little bit, 
there are some different challenges that are presented and um, the business takes on a little bit different shape and and size. When you go from one to two locations into the three to four to five locations, this is a business that's no longer based around your clinical and interpersonal skills only. Yeah, you're probably still playing a clinical role, but you're having some challenge as it relates to the number of days you can afford to practice clinically and still lead that business. And replacing uh, yourself in a clinical capacity is one of the challenges that we see most often there. This type of a business that's three to five locations, um, you're going to have to have some level of business skills to confidently expand that business. Um, and, and you can't afford to make massive mistakes in doing it because you've still got to be able to maintain some level of control and have some aspect of culture that perpetuates that business. To put it bluntly, you can't be in four locations uh, at the same time all the time. You've got to have the confidence in your team the culture and the systems that you've built uh, and perpetuated into those businesses that help you to maintain some level of control. Here, you're really looking for uh, some level of stability as what Michael Gerber terms the manager of that business. And that is a different kettle of fish than what you built in a successful solo practice because your clinical role, your clinical production and collections play less and less of a role in the outright viability of that business. Arguably, the viability of that three to five location group is based more on your leadership abilities and your ability to manage it than it is your clinical capabilities and your case acceptance ratio. This, That being said, this still could be uh, at three to five locations, a business that's based or uh, this oriented towards uh, passive income to fund your lifestyle. Nothing wrong with that. We love these, you know, three to five location groups uh, that are successful in terms of the passive income they generate um, and a very reasonable outcome from the founder. Uh, and they can be very, very successful in in doing so with without taking on, you know, massive amounts of risk to do it. Once we get beyond that three to five location phase. This is now a business, call it six to 20 locations or maybe more, um, that is a much more complicated business. It's a business that uh, starts to develop uh, or starts to have characteristics of some level of backend infrastructure. That takes a lot of reinvestment of dollars instead of funding your lifestyle to a reinvestment of dollars to fund the business, to fund the operations of the business, to fund a C-suite, to fund a call center, uh, to fund true backend infrastructure and start to build more characteristics of a platform. Uh, and that is uh, a business that, if done correctly, um, can yield uh, a lot of speed and scale of the business, a business that's truly scalable, where you can replicate successes over and over and have the confidence to do that. It's a business that's really focused on execution and all too often focused on exit. Um, not to say that that's dependent upon it, but it just usually is because these businesses that are in that six to 20 location phase, and that's a loose approximation, 
most of the people that are building a a business that's six to 20 locations are are investing in back-end infrastructure because they're trying to attract like a private equity uh, buyer uh, that will pay a premium for their business and they want to scale it to the next level. This is all about your growth and leadership um, of the business. Uh, and obviously, it's really more of a business that's built more around um, uh, equity and valuation context than it is around um, uh, passive income context. It's a business that's much more complex. It's got a lot more people to it. And it goes without saying that the, the financial risks and rewards uh, go up a good bit as you kind of scale up that what we call the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey or uh, uh, the entrepreneurial uh, pyramid uh, as we talk about it. You know, the last thing I want to say when it comes to our journeys as individuals um, is that being an entrepreneur um, is not formulaic. Uh, we talk about the journey and the, the stresses that these businesses put on us as individuals. It's real um, and it can be sizable and it also kind of comes in phases. Beyond just the journey at hand, there, there is a, 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 an evolution for each of us in terms of being business leaders. And those that journey is not, um, that evolution is not what I would call linear, if you think about it in graphical format. Um, we liken this to uh, a, an overall gr uh, phase of growth for us as business leaders um, that is more akin to some level uh, of growth and development and hopefully success, and then a level of plateauing. Um, businesses go through this. Uh, it's not unusual. Um, and we go through these levels of plateauing um, as, as leaders and entrepreneurs. You you see this probably in your clinical skill set too. Now that I'm just thinking out loud here, but you become a ma when you first started in dentistry. You know it was daunting to cut a crown prep. You know the first time you went to to uh, a CE course to learn how to do uh, all on fours or veneers or more expanded endo treatment. You know things like that. You kind of you knew what the the skill was, but you needed some further development you learned it, then you got the confidence to do it um, by performing multiple um, uh, procedures over time. Uh, and then you develop some level of mastery of that. But you didn't start out with that level of mastery. It's kind of a, an evolutionary cycle. And we talk about these plateaus as being uh, what Dan Sullivan terms ceilings of complexity. And ceilings of complexity are where you've kind of mastered your craft uh, and you've hit kind of a ceiling, a plateau, if you will, of of where the business sits. And if you want to take the next step, you have to mask, you have to break through that ceiling of complexity that that sets you out on the next phase of journey. Um, Andy Grove, the one of the uh, instrumental leaders of uh, the Intel Corporation for a number of years, passed away from uh, cancer a number of years ago. Termed these 
inflection points and, and, and businesses and individuals go through a wide variety of inflection points over time. And the inflection point is, is kind of where graphically our growth journey starts to plateau. It starts to flatten out a little bit. And then we have a choice to make. Okay. The, the, our growth is, is plateaued. It's flattened out. Our businesses reach some level of consistency or stagnation depending on how you want to think about it. So what happens at that point? Are we reasonably confident that we can maintain the business for the next you know, however many years coming up? Or is this something where we need to learn new clinical skills? Or is this something where we need to learn greater business skills? Or is this something where we need to take on a little bit more risk and more debt to acquire uh, additional locations for the next phase of growth? And then after we master that next phase of growth, personally, clinically, and professionally as a business leader, what happens next when the business plateaus and we heat, we reach a level of complexity, a ceiling of complexity? Are we okay to stay where we are? Is the business viable and sustainable and we're confident about that? Or is it time to take another look at it and, and say, okay, it's time to build a back-end infrastructure for the next phase of growth and, and get to uh, grow up the next level of scale before the business plateaus again. These inflection points, both personally and professionally, are very real, whether we recognize them or not. When we don't recognize them, we we reach a point of uh, plateauing or stagnation in terms of our own uh, skills and, and leadership capabilities, but also from the uh, financial viability of the businesses. If you feel like that level of complexity and that plateauing is sustainable indefinitely, then maybe you can afford to stay where you are. The worst case scenario is that the business starts to, to not just plateau, but also starts to decline. And in decline, there is some threat of obsolescence or lack of continued viability of the business. So when you hit these inflection points as an entrepreneur and as a business leader, it's really important to try to understand where you are truly in the journey um, and what you need to do next based around your confidence level and the, via the continued viability of the business. We don't talk about these types of concepts too terribly often on the podcast, but we do talk about them with our clients. Um, and it's the same thing that DeWalker and I learned the journey about entrepreneurism, some of it through the school of hard knocks, taking a punch, having a setback, having to start over, uh, and some uh, through the breaking through of the the next ceiling of complexity uh, and and getting our inflection point to pivot back up into a next phase of overall business growth for our business. Again, our business is different from yours, but the journeys look a lot the same, honestly. So I hope that that some of this, I understand this is not like EBITDA based, <laughs> the way many of you love the the data and analytics and the analytical drive of the podcast. This is more conceptual. But I felt like based around some of the things that I was hearing from some of the uh, presentations that I'd shared in the marketplace up to this point, um, these were part and parcel of some of the, the questions I had been getting. And, and I felt like this is a good point to share it with many of you um, to uh, hopefully give you some different thoughts around how you scale yourself, how you scale your business, and the journey that you're all on, regardless of the phase of life that you find yourself in.
So I hope that's uh, beneficial to you. Uh, stick around with some additional thoughts. I'll be, I'll be right back to wrap up the show. Thank you once again for joining me on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast today. Um, I do enjoy these types of shows sometimes that are a, a departure from the norm for what we typically do here at Polaris, and hopefully you find some merit in that too. You know, that being said, in the entrepreneurial journey and growth and everything like that, like I, I touched on on today's episode and, and some of what I, I talked about um, on the prior episode as well, you know, I, I, I had the opportunity recently um to to get away for a couple of days um this is more of a a personal story for you to wrap up today's show um many of you in the audience are hard chargers you're driven you're optimistic you're uh, full gas all the time um we are certainly as well at polaris um and I, i think you some of you see that in the presentation material we share and those who work with us in terms of a client uh, engagement um, see that as well. Um, ours ours is a business that's demanding, much like yours is. Yours is more physically demanding uh, than ours is, certainly, but ours is incredibly mentally taxing and um, we don't lack from a uh, uh, an activity level around here. Let me put it that way. So our, our days are pretty dense and our uh, days are, are unrelenting in a lot of ways. Um, and that journey that DeWalker and I have been on personally, and certainly what I've been on personally since the departure of the, the prior company uh, and the launch of Polaris has been uh, two years of, of massive fulfillment, uh, unbelievable rewards, uh, and frankly, a bit of exhaustion at different periods of time. Um, you know, the, the coaching uh, group that I used to be a part of called Strategic Coach um, uh, talks about the entrepreneurial time system, uh, and they break it down into free days, focus days, and buffer days. I think I may have talked about this on a previous podcast, but in any event, the idea behind free days is that you get away and you have like a, an opportunity to mentally recharge the batteries and you know come back fresh, right? Uh, and then focus days are the days that we're really focused on delivering maximum value, generating revenue and income for the business and really making the greatest impact. Buffer days are the days that are somewhere in between where you're cleaning up messes and you're doing preparatory work and follow up and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I tried to operate in that entrepreneurial time zone the way they talk about it and and was somewhat successful at it. That being said, I'm a husband and a father. Um, and what I found is that family days are immensely rewarding, but they're not typically based around recharging the batteries or recovery. Uh, And it took me a long time to get to this point, but I realized that for me to be at the top of my game and to really um, deliver value to the audience for y'all, to my partner, to Walker, to our team at Polaris, to our clients and everybody else, I needed to get away for a couple of days. And when I say get away, I mean really detach and recharge. And so during the spring break period, my wife took our daughter with another uh, mother-daughter family that we know really well. um, And and they went to the lake for a couple of days uh, to 
you know, have a, a spring break. And since it ended up being a girl's trip, the other husband was on a business trip that week. It ended up being a girl's trip. I said, okay, well, I'm going to take the opportunity to, to get out of town. So I actually left Charlotte as well, uh, went to a a small kind of boutique hotel in the uh, upstate of South Carolina, took my bike and got away for three days and two nights, got in a a few rides, uh, sat out by the pool, uh, read a bunch of books, uh, woke up in the morning with no alarm clock, with no agenda, and simply thought to myself, what do I want to do today? Um, You know, I had no demands on my time. The team was really great about, um, you know, not, uh, not texting me about anything. Um, I didn't check email while I was gone. I really, truly detached. And I had never done that before. I'm 52 years old. I've had a, a pretty good you know, professional career at a, at a, at a Fortune 1000 company. Um, been an entrepreneur twice with two successful ventures and, and the second one still growing. Uh, and really, you know, have, have had a pretty, pretty solid career, I'll say. Um, but never had the opportunity to truly get away by myself and to really detach and just kind of think a little bit and to recharge the batteries. And it was um, way overdue. It was much needed um, and very cathartic and rejuvenative for me. Uh, And the reason I wanted to share that with y'all is because many of you in the audience are, uh, are on a similar journey. You're all on all the time and you have family obligations as a husband or a wife. Uh, You have parental obligations to your children. You have leadership obligations to your team. Uh, You have partner obligations to your partner who's on the same journey and took the same risk that you you did. Uh, And sometimes there's no time for us. And I always put the family first and the business first and you know, parent tends to come way beyond or way after all that. And when I used to give lip service to free days and say that I was taking free days, they weren't really free. Um, and having days that are truly free from all responsibility is, is not an experience that I'd ever had. After the fact, I found out that there are a lot of entrepreneurs who do that. Um, and maybe I was the last to get the memo. So I wanted to share it all with you um, or, or with all of you. Um, I think there's a lot of merit in protecting yourself, protecting your uh, mental uh, psyche, protecting your physical health, uh, your stamina, and being able to deliver maximum value for your team, your partners, your patients, um, and, and everybody else you're working with. And if if maybe I learned something along the way and I'm just late to the game, but if I can share something with y'all that gets you to think about it differently, then maybe that'll help you too. Um, so... Let's wrap up today's show. If you've got questions or comments about any of this or a general comment about anything I've shared, um, feel free to drop me an email at parent at polarishealthcarepartners.com. I also encourage you, if you like what you hear on the show, to leave us a a rating and a review. That helps a lot. Uh, We read all of them, obviously. Um, And I I, I truly, genuinely uh, am appreciative of all the positive feedback we get. Uh, And if you like what you hear, share the show with a colleague. Um, It helps us to expand our audience. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.